found the CWCCS podcast, Bible teaching from Colorado with Pastor Al Pittman. On today's episode, we'll be looking at what Pastor Al calls cancel culture as we work our way through Acts chapter 13. But before we get to the message, Pastor Al has written a new book that answers many questions people have at this time. It's titled, Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter. The last book of the Bible is sometimes the least read and often the most misunderstood. That's why Al Pittman has written a book from his teachings through Revelation. For those who read, those who hear, and those who keep the words of this prophecy, there's a blessing for you that you are hearing these words today. Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter by Al Pittman is the new book available for pre-order now. What would Jesus say about your church? What is unveiled in the book of Revelation? Why is the church missing for so many chapters? The church age has ended. The church age is an age of grace. Grace has ended. Now judgment has come. Review the book of Revelation chapter by chapter with Al Pittman in his new book. Pre-order now where you get books or go to cwccs.org. That's cwccs.org. Someone once said, you know, I wish God would speak to us as he did in days of old and all this, but God is speaking. But are we listening? Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter by Al Pittman. This new book by Pastor Al Pittman comes from his in-depth teaching series on the book of Revelation. Perfect for such a time as this. Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter. Pre-order or go to cwccs.org. Now, here's today's message, Counterculture of the Gospel. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 13. And before we go any further, I have some real important news with you uh, to share with you. And that is our oldest son and our daughter-in-law, Catherine, uh, had a little baby boy, amen, a few weeks ago. And we just wanted to share the picture with you. There he is, Jackson Isaac Pittman, amen. And when he gets to be about two and a half or three years old, they're going to change his name to Action Jackson as he becomes a toddler running around and tearing up everything. Amen. But uh, we're so happy, my wife and I, and this is number 11, I believe, of our grandchildren. Amen. We are blessed. Amen. God is good. God is good. All right. Acts chapter 13. We're going to, be, we're going to close out chapter 13 t- today. Uh, looking at verses 42 to 52, I've entitled this message, uh, uh, The Counterculture of the Gospel. Uh, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And we are called to be citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God. I'm sure many of you have heard the term before. It's called uh, cancel culture. How many of you have heard that before? Uh, the term cancel culture, a lot of that about that in the news today. What is it? Well, it refers uh, it, to the popular practice of withdrawing, canceling support for public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered uh, objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed, discussed as being form, performed on social media and for, uh, the form of, in the form of uh, group shaming. And so a lot of that going on today, cancel culture and all of that. My message is not really about cancel culture, but about the culture of the kingdom, the counterculture. Amen. Uh, But uh, when you think about it, as as Americans, uh, cancel culture uh, is really an affront, if you will, to the First Amendment rights that we have established through the Constitution as a part of the Bill of Rights that was established on December the 15th, 17. 91. That's what makes this country great is that there is the freedom of speech. 
And the primary goal of this movement, the cancel culture movement today, it seems to be, is through intimidation and fear to silence all opposing views. And I shared this last night and then went home and saw the news where the CEO of uh, uh, the Goya Food Company is being boycotted just because he had something favorable to say about the president. And so people don't want you to say what you think. You may disagree with them, but it's America. You can disagree with people, but have the freedom to say what you think. Amen. Uh, Paul and Barnabas faced a similar atmosphere in Antioch of Pisidia. In our text, it looks like it didn't look like it. In our text, we'll see, I should say, that at each point the culture tried to cancel the gospel, God responded with the counterculture of his kingdom. And so I would encourage you today, my encouragement to you today is not allow the cancel culture of our society, whatever form it comes in, to silence your testimony, to silence your mouth, to steal your voice as the church. They overcame the evil one, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. That's how we can live as overcomers. Because Jesus, indeed, when he came, he canceled the culture. Amen? Think about it. (laughs) He canceled the culture of sin and condemnation through his death on the cross. The first thing that I find here in our text is we're going to go through it point by point. There are four things that I want to share with you here in light of uh, the counterculture of God and relationship to the cancel culture of our day is that the counterculture of God cancels envy with grace. God wants us to be a people of grace, amen? We begin here at verse 42, where it says, And when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, what, the background of this is, of course, we saw last week, verses 16 to 41. Paul preached a sermon, amen? And uh, he's preaching in the synagogue there at Antioch of Pisidia, which is in modern-day uh, Turkey. And uh, he's preaching in synagogue there. Uh, the Gentiles hear his, the word and, and uh, some of the word, and they, they say, hey, come and share with us uh, the next Sabbath. And uh, the Bible says here in verse 43, read along with me. It says, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next day, on the next Sabbath, rather, almost a whole city came out. Amen. Uh, it had a mighty impact on the city. came together to hear the word of God. But verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy. So the envy of the culture of the world, now two kingdoms clashing here, the culture of the world, the envy clashing with the grace of God. Now, some may wonder why, why were Gentiles there? Were Gentiles were hanging around. In fact, according to the historian Josephus, uh, many Gentiles even attended synagogues back then and uh, with great interest in Judaism, in interest in this, this uh, God that they spoke about. Uh, the devout proselytes, uh, the Bible says, and other Jews followed uh, Paul. Devout proselytes are those who were converted to Judaism. And some, and some other Jews, they began to follow Paul, and, uh, and Paul uh, encouraged them, and Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in the grace of God. And why would Paul do that? Well, because Paul understood that grace, God's grace is a safe place. Amen? 
Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Thank God for his grace for us today. It's a safe place, especially back then and even today. Back then, they were facing a culture of paganistic religion. And even today, we, find it, we face a culture of paganism. It's good to have your heart established in grace. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 9, do not be carried about with various strange doctrines, because there's a lot back then, and there's a lot even today. For it is good that your heart be established in grace, not with foods, uh, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. What the writer of Hebrews is talking about is that you let your heart be established in grace and not according to the legalism or the law. And so our hearts need to be established in grace. And boy, we're facing challenging times today. And it's good to know that there's a, a safe place, that God's place of grace is a place uh, of safety for us. And his grace establishes our hearts even in the midst of these troubling times. I was reading the other day that where according to the American Psychiatric, uh, Psychiatric, Psychiatric I'll get it out, <laughs> Association, nearly half of Americans are anxious about COVID-19, about getting it and about their, their loved ones getting it and all of this. It says half. I think the, the number is probably higher than that. And it said this, and I quote from this particular article, it said, the stress and anxiety caused by the pandemic can and is having an effect on people's physical and mental health, close quote. Now, with the stress of the, the pandemic, we're trying to be, get healthy, but in the meantime, we're not getting healthy. It seems like we're getting worse because of the stress of it all, affecting families and all of these things. But oh, thank God for the grace of God. The grace of God is a refuge in these troubling times. The grace of God promotes an atmosphere of faith, not that of fear. And it reminds us that we should rest in the Lord. Rest in God's sufficiency and not the sufficiency of man. Amen. If you're resting in the sufficiency of man and what, you know, what's coming over across the news and all, you're going to have a hard way to go. Amen. Are you truly resting in God's grace? Believing that his grace is sufficient for you no matter what you are facing today. The Bible declares once again, Psalm 84, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. Amen. And God, be, he'll be sun to you when you feel cold and he'll be a shield to you when you get hot. Amen. He's a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Aren't you glad? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is still good. In the midst of everything that we're going through, God is still good. Why? Because he's the God of grace, all grace. So the believers were persuaded to be filled with grace opposed to being filled with envy. Again, the clash of two cultures, counterculture of the gospel and the culture of this world, which is envy. Among the fruits of the flesh, in Galatians chapter 5, is listed envy. <laughs> envy is a nasty infection. You've got envy in your heart, man. It's, 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 it's full of all kinds of evil. That's what the book, uh, James tells us in the book of James. And, you know, where evil and self-seeking is. I mean, all kind of evil and self-seeking will be, will be there when there's selfishness and, and envy. You'll find evil, all manner of evil uh, being present as well. Envy is a horrible thing. In Proverbs 23, verse 17 and 18 says, Do not let your heart be uh, your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day, for surely there is 
a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. You know, a lot of times what gets believers in problems, we start envying the world. Man, it's like they're having a good time. Oh, I remember when, you know, we become a legend in our own minds, don't we? You weren't never that cool, amen. <laughs> you never were, nah, you aren't. But we think in our own minds, oh, the fun we used to have. Really? The Bible says you need to be, you need to grow and to be zealous, not for the things of the world, but the, for, for the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the path of the Lord leads to life, and the path of the world leads to death. And do not envy sinners. Do not envy those who have rejected God. Be careful that you're not doing that. Again, a lot of believers have been shipwrecked because they began to envy the world again, and they thought they had a better path than God had for them. This time of the year, I don't know, they usually wait to the, uh, the end of the year, but they talk about celebrities you've lost, you know, in the past year and all this. And, and uh, I saw something the other day was talking about different celebrities that had passed. And, and some of these people, I mean, they had it all. And I, I don't know what the relationship was like with the Lord. I'm sure some of them were believers and all, but had seemed to have it all. And now gone. And what's even sad about that, some of the, the young people that have, died that have passed away they say so-and-so so-and-so was found dead found dead found dead and you know what they're saying it was suicide or overdose these young rappers out there these young cats out there you know trying to to live the fantasy but you know then they meet up with reality you try to live the fantasy you know you flash in the signs and all this kind of stuff but then there's the reality and a couple of them have been shot to death and a lot of people again chasing the fantasy but the but you know uh, then reality catches up to you. And I thought, it's just so sad. It's just that they've, they've gone way too soon. 20, 21 years old. Just starting out, believing the lie of the devil. That if I had all the women and all the money and all this, the jewelry and all these different things, that life is good, it's not. What well, does it profit a man, somebody once said. I think his name was Jesus. To gain the whole world and to lose his soul. And the Bible tells us here, don't envy the world. Why? Because you know what? The, you know, to be zealous for the fear of the Lord, because for surely there is a hereafter. Amen. Every one of them. And then all those, those former celebrities and all of that, that, that are no longer here, you know, they all died. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. For surely, the Bible says, there is a hereafter. And for those who are in Jesus and your hope will not be cut off. Hallelujah. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Amen. Praise his holy name. We have a hope in the midst of this pandemic. Amen. Give God praise and glory. Amen. Now, here's the question for us as believers, because we're all tempted at times with envy. I know we're tempted at envy, with envy. I know other people <laughs> we have come across, I've come across in my life that have been tempted with envy, because when you share your blessing with them, they get real quiet. Amen. Hey, let me tell you, I just got a pray raise, and, and God is just so good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. Envy, it's, it's that silent killer. You got you to watch it. The whole world is filled with it. God calls us to be filled with grace. How do you know whether or not you have an envy problem? Well, ask yourself this question. Do you find it difficult to rejoice with those who are blessed? You know, you know how we are. We, 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 we want to figure out how, how people got blessed. How did that happen? Because we won't be blessed too. <laughs> Amen. 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But this is what our carnal flesh wants to do many times. Our carnal nature is that we'd rather weep with those who rejoice because we don't think they deserve it. And we would rather rejoice over those who weep because they finally got theirs. That's the carnal flesh. Some of us are living long enough to see somebody get theirs. But that is not the culture of the kingdom. The world is filled with envy. We ought to be filled with grace. And here's the deal. When you're filled with grace, you're filled with the love of God. Love cannot exist where envy persists. Love cannot exist where envy persists. Why? 1 Corinthians 13, love does not envy. Amen. The culture of the kingdom of God calls us to be to continue, the Bible says, that Paul encouraged them and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in the grace of God. The, the culture of the kingdom encourages us to continue also in the grace of God, which is the counterculture. The grace is the counterculture of envy. So there I see, in the, concerning the counterculture of the gospel, is where the counterculture of the gospel uh, it counters, if you will, the Envy that is in the world. Secondly, the counterculture of the gospel, it cancels opposition with boldness. You need to have boldness today in Jesus Christ. I want to describe boldness here in just a moment because sometimes our idea of boldness is not God's idea of boldness. In verse 45, the latter part says, because these people were envious and all of this, there was opposition. And the Bible says, in contradicting the latter part of verse 45 and contradicting and blaspheming they oppose the things spoken by Paul then Paul and Barnabas grew bold there's the boldness and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first what is he talking about there he's saying the gospel came to the Jews first not as because they were better than anyone else but because he's speaking in the sense of time. In the sense of timing, the gospel really came to you first. And when Jesus came to the earth, he went to his own first, and yet the Bible says his own rejected him. And his own, his own, as it says, it were the Jewish people. He said it was important, essential for the gospel to come to you first, but since you rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. And he says, he's quoting Old Testament scripture here. He says, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. So this opposition that they faced, they, they confronted the opposition with boldness. Opposition to the gospel always resorts to two things, and we see them listed here, there in verse 45, the latter part. It resorts to contradiction, which is really illogical incompatibility. Contradiction. When you're sharing the gospel with someone, you know, someone, you know, there's always this, this uh, uh, illogical um, excuse that they have. Incompatible with the truth. This contradiction. And you will also find when uh, uh, the, the world opposes the gospel, you'll find blasphemy. Some people have just out and out just cursed God. And we see that happening even more and more. I shared with you the uh, Luciferian group uh, a couple of weeks ago about how they were uh, opposing 
uh, the gospel and how they're out, you know, promoting the agenda of the devil outright, not hidden, outright. And so some are just blaspheming God. But these are, this is the response many times when people don't have an answer for the truth that they contradict and they blaspheme, just as if we see the people doing here. That's what opposition does. And this is what we find in our society today. I'm here to tell you today, and I've, I mentioned it before, but the age of reasoning is dead. People don't think logically anymore. They do not reason, it seems. I'm not saying it's everybody, but there's elements in our society where there's, it's just, there's no, no reasoning. And, and it's a bad thing because, you know what, even God calls you to reason. The Bible says in Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he's speaking to the nation of Israel who had turned their back on him and had wandered from him and, and got, gone back into godliness. And God says, come now, let us reason together. Sit down for a little bit. Let's talk about this. Come now, let us, let us, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And he said, well, like wool. Yeah, wool, like the, the wool of, of the lambs that were, was washed. And when they would wash the wool, it would come back to its, its original, its whiteness, its brilliance. Come now, let us reason together. God is changing the world. Now, let's sit down. Wait a minute. You know, you've been trying to run things yourself. How is that working out for you? Come now, sit out, let's reason. But the people of the world are unreasonable. Even if it brings benefit to their life, they'd rather govern themselves. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the Bible says it leads to hell, to destruction. And we think we know better than God and we don't need God. We can govern ourselves. That's not working out real good for America right now. God says, can we reason together? When you sit down and you take a look, assessment, and inventory of your life, you come to a place like, something ain't right here. But pride and opposition will keep you on the path of destruction to your own detriment. Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says, they responded to this opposition by growing bold. They grew bold. That means that they took a few days off and kind of pumped themselves up. <laughs> Dropped down, did some push-ups, and stood up there, hey, you know. They grew bold in the spirit. And I believe they, you know, they grew bold in the spirit, meaning they did not grow arrogant. They did not grow prideful. Some believers think that to grow bold in the Lord is to cut people down. To put people down, to, to have a, a quick comeback to them and put them in their place. That's not boldness, that's arrogance, and that's pride. True boldness is not defined by the loudest mouth, amen, or, sharp, or the sharpest tongue. And I don't believe that's what Paul and Barnabas are trying to achieve here. In fact, the believer, the scripture tells us that the believer should not take a fight fire with fire approach to the opposition. Did you know that? And again, I'll quote the scripture that says that, you know, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So they hit us, we're going to hit them back. Fight fire with fire. That's not biblical. <laughs> For one thing, God's not, God ain't scared. Amen? <laughs> God's not afraid. He's not intimidated by the world. We're to face opposition rather with, and this is counterculture. I'm talking about the kingdom. 
talking about grace, and now we're talking about boldness. The boldness that God wants us to operate in is that which is gentle, patient, and full of humility. Pastor, I don't know about that. Okay, write this one down. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24, 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Now, my wife is probably going to memorize that verse. She's sitting right here today. Amen. <laughs> we get in some discussions. I have, you know, trying to prove my point or whatever. But, but a servant of the Lord is not supposed to quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility. Humility? Yeah. Correcting those who are in opposition. Why? If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That's not arrogance and pride. That I'm correcting someone out of an attitude of love for them. In boldness, you know, where does the boldness come in? Well, Paul's response was one according, was a response according to reasoning. He said, well, where's the reason? He tells him, he says, you know, the gospel came to you first, but since you rejected it, you judge yourselves unworthy of it. Where's the reasoning and all that? Because basically what he was saying, he was, he shared this with them and hope that their eyes would be open to the truth. What is the truth he's trying to convey here to them? That God doesn't condemn anybody, we condemn ourselves. For people to see that salvation is, is open to you, but if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, hear me, if you're watching online, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus, when you reject Jesus Christ, you basically judge yourself as being unworthy for everlasting life. Unworthy of God's goodness. Oh, God condemns people. No, he doesn't. God hasn't condemned anyone. We condemn ourselves. You sit in the electric chair and you pull the switch on your own life. And Paul is trying to get them to open their eyes to see you have judged yourselves to be unworthy. God didn't call you unworthy. You called yourself unworthy. Jesus said in John 3, 18, that he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. We condemn ourselves. In verse 47, notice something here before we get, get to the next point. Is that their boldness really opened up another door of opportunity for them. Because they were bold and spoke boldly to the Jews, God showed them that, you know, they're not receiving it. So now I want you to go to the Gentiles. And Paul quotes a couple of scriptures that confirm the fact that, hey, God is leading us in a different direction. When God closes one door, he opens another. And so he quotes here. In verse 47, Isaiah 42, verse 6, and Isaiah 49, verse 6, which is probably written in your Bibles as well. And those verses speak about the fact that when the Messiah comes, he will be a light not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. See, a lot of people thought in the early church that the gospel came to the Jews, oh, and they were, it was primarily Jewish. But God began to reveal as he showed Peter on the rooftop of uh, Simon the Tanner and all, and, and, and all, it showed them that, no, the gospel is not exclusive. It's not just for the Jews. It's for the whole world. 
It's for Gentiles as well. One lesson here I want to mention before we go on to the next point, and that is that opposition is God's opportunity. I don't know about you, I look at opposition as, oh, now what? You know, that's, that's, my, that's my statement of faith. <laughs> oh, now what? I told my wife the other day, can I get a day without drama? <laughs> it's always something, right? But opposition is an opportunity in the counterculture of God. <laughs> The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Eyes of the Lord are scanning the earth, looking for somebody who will believe his word. That he, that, that he will do what he says he will do. Do we believe that? You know, he's scanning this congregation right now. You know he is. I'm looking for somebody who will believe what I said. Somebody to go out and build a facility. Somebody, no. Somebody who will believe what I said. Because that's what I see Paul and Barnabas doing here. That they grew bold and we grow bold in the spirit by when we face opposition. How? Through the reasoning that is the power of God's word. And I love that because, you know what, I don't have to convince people. Well, Pastor Al, you really sold me. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Because if I can sell you into it, the devil can sell you out of it. But if the Holy Spirit brings you into it, you're good to go. Amen? It's not by might or power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. It is word. The power is in his word. I'm so foolish to believe, and I'm a fool for Christ, that his word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce down into the bone, the very marrow of your conscience, and bring you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm not doing it. His word does it. So what Paul is doing, Bar Barnabas is doing here, that they're speaking the word of God. They grew bold, and what did they do when they grew bold? Punch somebody in the mouth? No, they just spoke the word. You've judged yourselves un unworthy. And they did so in hope that they would come to the Lord. In the face of their opposition, they shared the word of God. And they shared by, through the reasoning of his word, that this is what you are doing. That they might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So boldness in the word cancels out the opposition of the world. And thirdly, the counterculture of the gospel, the third point, is that it cancels rejection with glory. Verse 48 says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. That's a couple of things here. For one thing, they are rejoicing. The glory that they had within themselves and receiving Christ, they glorified God and it canceled out the rejection of the world. Why do I say that? Because for the Gentiles, the Jews considered them lost. Hopeless, outcasts. They had laws that said the Jews could not even eat with the Gentiles. That's what Peter said when he went to Cornelius' house. You know that it's not proper for a Jew to come into a Gentile's home. They had written them off. 
And those who were once written off, amen, are now accepted into the family of God, amen? And so the rejection by the Jews and by the world even has been overcome by the glory of God. And the Bible says, so they glorified what? The word of the Lord. They did not glorify the vessels of the Lord. The vessels of the Lord is Paul and Barnabas, but what their hope was in was in the word of God. They believed the word. What God had said, that if any man or woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. Amen. They believe the word of God. And they glorify the word of the Lord. They glorify God because God accepts what the world rejects. You may be watching online or here in this auditorium or upstairs. God accepts what the world rejects. God accepts misfits. God accepts people who don't fit in, who are not cool enough or beautiful enough or whatever. God accepts what the world considers dung, junk. He embraces those who come to Christ. I came to Jesus Christ. I, 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 was not, I wasn't good enough for the world. You know, you weren't cool enough. I wasn't a Mac daddy. Amen. I wasn't all the things that the world said was important. I didn't live. I wasn't strong enough. All these other things. You know what? But when I came to Christ, that was, it didn't matter. He accepted me. And these Gentiles, I can just only imagine, they're celebrating, wow, you mean God accepts us who were rejected by the world and by the Jews? God accepts what the world rejects. Pastor Al, I've been a failure all my life. God accepts what the world rejects. Pastor Al, I've had an abortion. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Pastor, I'm here to tell you, God accepts what the world rejects. I'm not beautiful enough. They always told me I didn't look. God accepts what the world rejects. I'm not handsome enough. I don't make enough money. I don't drive the right car. Whatever. God accepts what the world rejects. Praise his holy name. Jesus said, I came for those who were sick. I didn't come for the well. I came for those who were sick, infected with the virus of sin, that he might heal us. Praise his holy name. Michael chapter 4, verse 7 says, I, the Lord God says, I will make the lame a remnant. Hallelujah. And the outcasts a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. He's talking about the church. We are ICU. Amen. In Christ united. Hallelujah. Amen. Thought I'd throw that in. This is an ICU unit. Amen. By his grace, we've been saved in him. We're not all that, but it is his power and his love that sustains us. And God says, I don't care if you were lame, you couldn't make it. I don't care how broke down you were, no matter what you were going through, what people said about you. I'm going to gather a people together that the world's given up on, and I'm going to create a strong nation out of them called the Church of Jesus Christ. And so he has done it. And some people look at the word appointed in the latter part of verse 48, and they say, well, you know, that implies that there are some people not appointed. God appointed some, but he doesn't appoint others. And the question we have to ask ourselves, well, does God appoint people to be lost? 
This gets into the argument of Calvinism versus Arminianism and free will and free moral agency and, and all. And I'm not going to get into that theological debate. But I will say this, because I believe the Bible confirms the Bible. <laughs> and so we ask the question, well, God appoint some and disappoint others. <laughs> well, Peter refutes that notion. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that how many? Any should perish, but that how many? All should come to repentance. Amen. So what is the meaning here then, if you consider the the word appointed. Well, the Greek word used for appointed is not the same Greek word used for preordained, which is protasso, or predestined, which is proorizo. The Greek word for appointed here is tasso, just tasso. And it means to determine, to put in a certain order, arrange, or assign a place. In other words, it implies disposition or readiness of mind. In other words, those who have the disposition of mind, that is your will, inspired by the Holy Spirit who is drawing you to God. Those who have the disposition of mind will not be rejected, but appointed, accepted in Christ. You've been accepted in Christ. And because you have been accepted in Christ, God has appointed you as a son or a daughter. Amen? That's what it means to be appointed. Those who were appointed, who believed, were appointed. That means that when they came to Christ and they decided to give their life to Christ, that they were appointed. They were appointed as sons and daughters of God. God put you in rank. He put you in order in his kingdom. Because before then, you were out of order, separated from God. Amen? All right, John 3, 16, 17. For some of you sitting there going, I don't know. Uh, John 3, 16 and 17. What does it say? You know. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have be saved. Amen, that's what it says. So let's break that down in context of being appointed. But God so loved the world that whoever, that's free will. Am I, are you with me? This is a little Bible study, all right? That whoever, that's free will, believes in him. That's mental disposition. You have a disposition. You put your faith in Christ. You've made a choice. Will not perish, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Verse 17 of John 3, chapter 3 says... God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send his son into the world to predestine people to hell. We send ourselves there. Are you with me? But that the world through him might be saved. And being saved through faith in Jesus Christ, the result of that is everlasting life. And that's exactly what we see in our text where it says, as many as he had, as had been appointed to eternal life believed. We're appointed in Christ. Put in our right standing in Christ. 
Those who put their faith in him, John says, have the right to be called, appointed, to be called sons of God. That is, sons and daughters of God. Lastly, we come to the counterculture, if you will, of the gospel in relationship to canceling intimidation with joy. Canceling intimidation with joy. Look at verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, which is about 90 miles away, And the disciples were filled with what? Joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wow. We read over that, we kind of, oh, that's kind of cool, but it's amazing when you think about it in context, what we've been reading. They're in a paganistic culture, society. Yet the Holy Spirit has the audacity to fill them with joy. Amen? In the midst of their situation. The Bible says that the word of God spread despite worldly intimidation. And there's a lot of intimidation around for the church today, but the word of God is not hindered. The word of God still spread despite the intimidation that they were facing in that time. And then in verse 50, the intimidation came from the fact that the prominent women of the city were stirred up, and they stirred up the prominent men, and the chief men of the city uh, started to persecute Paul and Barnabas. Why? Because they wouldn't get no sleep at home because their wives were nagging him to death. All right, I'm about ready to get in trouble, but I got, I got some scripture to back me up. Amen. <laughs> That's what was happening. The devil was, was uh, beguiling, uh, 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 beguiling Eve again, if you will, stirring up the woman to, to come against the men. And you, we thought we came up with it, but even back then, happy life, happy wife, happy. Boy, come on, guys, don't leave me hanging out here. <laughs> happy wife, happy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Amen. We thought we came up with that. No, they had it back then. Look, it's right there. Prominent women of the city were stirred up, and they stirred up the chief men of the city, and they said, we got to do something about Paul and Barnabas. I ain't getting no sleep. How about you? I ain't slept in two days. We got to get them guys out of here. Amen? And they began to persecute them. And Paul and Barnabas, their response was they shook the dust from their sandals, from their feet. Now, why would they do that? Well, it's been said, and biblical historians will tell you, but uh, many times when the Jews would come to Jerusalem for Passover or one of the other holy uh, celebrations, that they would come from other countries where they were living. But when they came to the temple, they would take their sandals off and they would shake the dust from the sandals before they went into the temple. Indicating that wherever we came, the pagan place that we came from, we're shaking the dust from there before we enter into the presence of the Lord. And so what were they doing here? Well, it was symbolic, but, you know, they weren't going into the temple. But basically they were saying that we shake off the dust and the influence of this godless society. This Christ-rejecting society. 
Jesus asked his disciples to do the same thing. Remember in John, or Luke rather, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, if you go into someone's home, they don't receive you, or the city doesn't receive you, shake the dust from your sandals and move on. One door closed, and then another door opened up for, for, for them, and they went to the Gentiles. Now, there's a great lesson here for us, too. There's sometimes in your own life, you've got to shake the dust from your feet. There are relationships and things in your life that, you, that are clinging onto you that you need to shake them off before you can move on in your relationship with the Lord. Amen? We got to shake the dust off. The Bible says, lay aside every weight, every sin that easily besets you and run in your race with patience, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? You got to shake the dust off. Some of the places we, we walked or whatever, we need to shake the dust off. Even, even when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, you know, he came to Peter and he said to wash his feet. Remember what Peter said? Uh, Lord, you can't wash my feet. Not so, Lord. He's always doing that. No, I just slap Peter upside the head. Will you stop that? He said, no, you, Lord, you shouldn't wash my feet. I should wash your feet. And the Lord said, if I cannot wash your feet, you can have no part in me. In other words, if you don't allow me to wash your feet... You can't participate in what I'm doing. And we walk through this world and our feet get dusty. Look at your devotional time as that. When you come in the presence of the Lord, allow him to wash your feet. Because we pick up dust from this world that we need to shake off. So that we can be about our father's business. Amen. All right. Praise his holy name. Amen. Somebody ought to give him praise and glory. But I love the fact that their joy came with the Holy Spirit. One of the, the, the uh, characteristics of the Holy Spirit in filling our lives is power. Yeah, we like to talk about power, but it's also joy. And sometimes Christians say they're joyful, but sometimes we need to notify our faces. Amen? I'm just saying. Oh, he just offended me. I'm not coming back. Well, you know. The Bible says the characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit is joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? And I tell you, this pandemic has sucked the joy out of many churches. It sucked the joy out of many believers' lives. I feel it sometimes when you walk in here. When I walk in here, we got to shake the dust off and say, wait a minute. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen? And even in a service like this, some of you are hesitant about worshiping God and praising God and raising a hand to God and having joy because you've been listening to the garbage of the world all week and you bring that spirit into the assembly of God. Rebuke that in the name of Jesus. God has given you a spirit of joy. If we are filled with his spirit, we have his joy. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness. Against such there is no government order. There is no law. Amen? Hold on to your joy. I love this. Despite the godless culture, the intimidation of their day, God had the audacity to fill his people with joy. But yes, the question, what changed? Culture didn't change. Culture didn't change. They changed. Our joy is based upon us changing. Not my circumstances changing. I don't have no joy because they laid me off. <laughs> God is still on the throne. Amen. I can still have joy in the Holy Spirit because I have, I'm in relationship with God. The Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, 
you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe that? I'm going to say this. A filled believer, a filled believer cannot be intimidated by an empty world. A filled, spirit-filled believer cannot be intimidated by an empty world. I can have joy. Oh, well, when, when, they get a, when they get an antidote for COVID, I have joy. No, I got joy right now. Amen. I got joy right now. I ain't waiting for no antidote. Jesus is my antidote. Amen. And I'm going to worship him in spirit and in truth. I got joy right now. Not based upon my circumstances, but upon my relationship with the Lord. Okay, in conclusion, got to let you go home. I only get you for a little while, and then I got to send you back out into the world. In conclusion, grace, boldness, glory, and joy are characteristics of Christ's kingdom. In him, the culture of sin has been defeated. <laughs> Through the cross. Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God's cancel culture, His counterculture is to destroy the works of darkness. He's called us into the kingdom of His Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks for catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting CWCCS.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.